Luke chapter 12, verses 43 through 47, the Word of God says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him with his portion with the unbelievers. And together in verse 47, And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. And let's pray. Lord, help us now as we turn to your word. Thank you for the great singing we've heard this evening, the fellowship, the shaking of hands, the smiling faces, the seeing friends and and Christian family. It's been an encouragement. Uh, Lord, we do ask that as we turn to you and open your book that you would reveal it to us. We know this is a spiritual book and it must be spiritually discerned. So we pray, uh, dear God, that you would open its wisdom to us and help us to see it. Give me the words that you'd have me say at this moment and nothing more, nothing less, but what you have for us right now. Lord, help us to have ears to hear. Uh, may, may our hearts be soft and tender and may we uh, heed the, the warning and the promises that are found in these scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Every January for many, many years, we have focused on stewardship throughout the month of January, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about it some throughout this month, some in Sunday school, morning service, evening service, just throughout the month. The reason why we do that every year is because stewardship is so important to how we live our Christian lives. A stewardship is the realization that God has given us certain things to manage on his behalf. Uh, there are two views when it comes to time, talent, and treasure, uh, and that is the principle of ownership, which means I own these things. It's my life. It's my house. It's my car. They're my kids. It's my money. And that determines and informs all the decisions we make. I mean, if it's mine, then I treat it differently than as if I'm borrowing yours. Uh, do you ever notice that when you rent a car, you drive a little bit more carefully than when you're driving your own? When you borrow something from somebody, you just take a little extra care because you, you don't want to misuse it. You want to make sure you get it back to them. Uh, and that's the idea of stewardship. Stewardship is it's not mine. I am managing this or overseeing it on the behalf of someone else. I am accountable to someone else for what happens to this. And so everybody in this room, you either have an ownership mentality towards life or you have a stewardship mentality towards life. And it's clear to see when we read the scriptures that God is the owner and we are the stewards. Uh, so everything belongs to him. And then he allows us to manage certain things. And we talk about the big three, time, talent, and treasure. Uh, for our purposes and in my study, God has had me add two more things to that as far as a, a full view of stewardship, and that is my testimony and truth. 
And so God gives us each time, and we're responsible for how we spend it. We all have 24 hours a day. Uh, We all have a life. How are we spending it? Uh, We all have talents. God's given us gifts and abilities. Am I using them for his kingdom, or am I just using them to get what I want? We have uh, treasure, and that is the money that God gives us, the, the things that pass through our hands. Or am I viewing that as this is God's and I'm stewarding it, I'm managing it as it comes through my hands, or is it all just mine to buy bigger and better and newer and neater stuff? Uh, and then we have our testimony. You know, each one of us have a testimony. The Bible says a good name is better to be chosen than great riches. And you only have one name, and it can take a lifetime to build a good one and a day to run it. And so each one of us are to be taking care of our name. And uh, maybe you say, well, my name's not very good today. Then start today. Or maybe you've been given a family name that means something, and it stands for something. Then make sure you steward that. But each one of us ought to take personal responsibility for how our testimony is viewed among the world. It's not just worried about what people think of us. It's realizing that my testimony determines the influence I can have in people around and the world around us. And then we have the truth. God has given each one of us the truth. We decide what we do with the truth. Do we change the truth to make it fit what we want? Or do we steward the truth that God's given us uh, and then pass it on to others as he gave it to us? Uh, You know, we have the Bible. A lot of people today changing Bibles and changing versions, and they're not being good stewards of the truth, in my view. Uh, Each church, the Bible says, is the pillar and ground of truth. And Our church, Curtis Corner Baptist Church, in this community is the pillar and ground of truth. We have the truth. We're supposed to be stewarding it, taking care of it, and preaching it as God gave it to us, to the world around us, not changing it to make it more palatable or more seeker-friendly or any of these things. We are stewards of the truth, and then we pass the truth on to our children. So this idea of stewardship uh, informs so many decisions about our lives, and in praying about and thinking about stewardship this year, the, the thought the Lord gave me for tonight is the problem with stewardship. Uh, stewardship's an easy concept to understand. But why is it so difficult to enact in our lives? Why is it so difficult to be a good steward? Uh, and I think that this portion of Scripture shows us what the problem is and then also how to guard against it, or how this problem can take us down a road that we don't want to go on. And our Lord in this parable gave us a a contrast between two servants. The first servant was faithful to his master's commands. And the Lord said uh, here in the beginning of the verses we read, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, uh, shall find so doing. And so we didn't read the the portions above that, but if you later, you can look at verses 41 and, and 42. And he's talking about a faithful steward. And Jesus says, blessed is the faithful steward. Blessed is the one who lives by principles of stewardship and is faithful uh, with the master's goods. But he also showed us a, a second servant. And the second servant in the lesson was unfaithful. He failed his master in spirit and in action, and as we read in the final verse, he was punished. Uh, The faithful servant is blessed. The unfaithful servant is punished. A simple question tonight, which servant do you want to be? Do you want to be the faithful servant? Do you want to be the unfaithful servant? 
Uh, you know, the, the faithful servant's life looks boring initially, uh, just day to day, consistently. The unfaithful servant, their, boy, their life looks exciting and opportunities. But always, whenever, before you start walking down a road, make sure that you look to the end of where that road's leading you. Because regardless of who you think you want to be today, I think we would all agree that at the end of the story, we want to be the faithful steward. We don't want to be the unfaithful steward being beaten with many stripes. We want to be the faithful steward who is blessed and rewarded. Uh, The Lord has given us so many blessings that we're all internally indebted to him. And I trust that each one of you tonight want to be a faithful steward. Now, every sincere believer wants to please the Savior. Would you agree with that? I mean, how could we not? He saved us from hell. He gave us life and breath. He promised us heaven. He's given us all the good things that that life affords. And we want to be faithful. We want to please the Savior, but so many fail. Why is that? Why is it so hard to be a faithful steward? Why is it so hard to finish the race well? And I believe this passage of Scripture reveals the problem. And the unfaithful steward, if we look deeply into this passage and at human experience, I believe we can see that he failed for one simple reason. And that reason is selfishness. Selfishness is one of your greatest enemies. The desire to have what you want at any cost. Doesn't matter who it hurts. Doesn't matter what it's going to cost me later. I want what I want now. A selfishness is one of the eldest children of the mother's sin of pride. Pride was the first sin and bore many children, and selfishness was not far behind. Selfishness is a powerful tool of the sin nature. It demands preeminence. Selfishness begs for what it wants. It'll scream. It'll cry. It'll bargain, manipulate, whine, do anything to get what it wants. Selfishness. Putting self first. Humans left to themselves are selfish. Have you noticed that? Children are born with the imprint of selfishness on their heart. A child's first word is usually mama. Second word, dada. Third word, mine. Mine. And they'll be in, in a, a crib or a pack and play. I mean, barely able to function. But that, that rattle belongs to them. That stuffed animal belongs to them. It's mine. Why is that? It's imprinted on our heart. Unrestricted, if we don't deal with the selfishness that is within us, it grows over a lifetime into a consuming cancer. You see, selfishness doesn't care about duty. It scoffs at the need of others. It mocks at the commandments of God. It seeks to install self on the throne of life as the all-powerful, ruling like a god. Selfishness wants every whim to be followed, every desire to be fulfilled, every need to bow. It's mine. It's about me. I put myself first. My needs, my wants, 
my appetites, my dreams, me, my, mine, selfishness. If you know anything about the scripture, you know that's the antithesis of what Christ is trying to accomplish in our lives. Jesus didn't come crying for what was his. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus didn't come from heaven and demand to be served. He knelt down and washed the disciples' feet. And even said further, the servant is the greatest of all. You see, once we realize that there's only one God, and it's not me, then that allows me to settle a lot of things in my life. It's a good day when we realize that the universe doesn't revolve around us. Your family doesn't revolve around you. Uh, And from mom, dad, children, it's true for all of us. The world doesn't revolve around you. There are other people in your life. There are other people that have needs. There are other people that need love and attention and all of these things. And so it's a good day when we stop crying for to be first and stop trying to be number one. But we say unto God, you are number one and I want to fit into your world and in your universe and in the life that you've given me. I want to be a good steward of the opportunities and the times, talents and treasures that you've given me. You see, selfishness is the enemy of God. It's the destroyer of lives. How many of you can think about someone right now? And just in your heart, the privateness of your own heart. How many of you can think about someone right now that's ruined a marriage because of selfishness? They've blown up a family because of selfishness. Lost jobs, hurt churches, hurt themselves, lost everything, become totally different people because selfishness took hold in their lives and they didn't fight it. Selfishness is the enemy of God. And each one of us need to recognize selfishness as our enemy and seek to remove it from our lives. When you recognize you're being selfish, it's time to repent. It's time to stop, to change your mind, to realize this isn't the way to live. This isn't the way Christ would want me to live. You can live without getting your way. Matter of fact, you will probably be more happy not getting your way. And I guarantee you, you will find true joy in giving God his way. And so we need to reject selfishness each time it rears its ugly head in our hearts and lives. Only then can we be a faithful steward. Now, if you remember, I told you that this parable gave us a contrast between two different servants. But let me show you an amazing fact. Most people read this as talking about two different people. Let me show you an interesting word in verse 45. Ready? Look at verse 45. He talks about the faithful servant in verses 43 and 44. But then look at verse 45. But and if, what are the next two words? That servant. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't a separate servant. This is the same servant. 
What if the faithful steward becomes an unfaithful steward? What if the one who was obeying God now begins to live for self? What if the one that was putting God first now begins to put himself first? And what we find here in these scriptures is a digression. It's not a contrast between two different people. It's a contrast between two paths of the same person. And this is what each one of us, each one of us in the room, we can choose to be faithful. And each one of us in the room, we can choose to be unfaithful. Here's the scary thing. If you are faithful today, you can one day choose to be unfaithful. That's why the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. None of us are above backsliding. None of us are impervious to temptation and satanic seduction. Each one of us, though we have the best intentions today, could become something less and serve a different master later. That's scary news. It's a warning. But if that's true, the opposite's true. Maybe today you're sitting here tonight and you're an unfaithful steward. That means you can choose to be faithful. Maybe you have been living for self. You can choose to live for God. And God leaves the choice with us. But, and if that servant say in his heart, this parable warns against a faithful servant degenerating into an unfaithful servant. It shows a regression of backsliding. And what I want to spend just a few minutes on tonight is showing you that selfishness expressed itself in five specific actions of this unfaithful steward. And what happens is in you and our lives, in our lives, if we begin heading down the path of unfaithfulness, if we today we want to be good stewards, we want to please the Lord, we want to honor God. What does that look like when we start being unfaithful? What are the progressions? What are the steps to backsliding to where one day we're not doing what we know to do and we're living in a way contrary to our Lord? And this scripture explains to us the progression or the digression of unfaithfulness. Let me show you these things uh, briefly tonight. What is the first step to becoming an unfaithful steward? Uh, number one, it's dishonest character. It's dishonest character. Look at verse 45. The scripture says, But and if that servant say in his heart, so he's speaking to himself in his heart, and what's he telling himself? My Lord delayeth his coming. My Lord delayeth his coming. Notice first he began to speak to himself in his heart. Did you know sin always begins in the heart? Long before it's visible in our actions and our words, it starts in the heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. The Bible gives us a lot of warnings about protecting the heart, keeping the heart clean. Because... All of our actions, all of our words come out of our heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, 
The Bible says, keep thy heart. That old English word keep means to guard or to protect thy heart with all diligence. Make it a number one priority. Spend time and energy and focus guarding your heart. Why? For out of it are all the issues of life. The issues like are, are like a, a stream coming forth out of a rock. It's issuing out of the rock. It's everything in your life is springing forth from your heart. Jesus told the Pharisees, it's not eating with unwashed hands that defile you. It's what comes out of your heart that defiles you because it's just showing us that your heart was defiled in the first place. And so a Christian should spend a lot of time and, and, and focus and prayer and the scriptures and preaching and, 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 uh, looking inwardly and introspection and comparing our thoughts of our hearts with the scriptures so that we can keep our heart pure and clean. We know the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But the Bible talks about the the cleansing power of scripture on the heart. The Bible exposes the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And the Bible gives us the ability and the tools to deal with the power of the Holy Spirit, to deal with the wickedness of our own hearts and expose it and call it out and reject it and choose another way. Keep thy heart with all diligence, it says. And I encourage us tonight, pay attention to the silent talk of your heart. That inner voice that speaks to you And only you can hear it. What is it saying? And if you allow it to begin preaching unscriptural things, it's going to take root in your heart and begin to come out in your words and your actions. Think about people that commit suicide. Where does that start? It's interesting. It's terrible. Uh, terrible, terrible sin and terrible where someone would get so hopeless that they would consider ending their lives. And yet when you talk to someone who's suicidal, it's very clear how they talk to themselves is very destructive. The inward talk of their hearts. And it's true with any sin. The inward talk that gives ourselves permission, the way we talk about sin, the way we talk about God, the way we talk about ourselves and others, that silent talk of the heart, we have to keep track of that and pay attention to it and watch it to make sure that our inner voice doesn't betray us. Keep your inward talk accountable to Scripture. Correct it. If, if you notice that your, your inner voice is saying something that's unbiblical, correct it with the Scripture. Don't give yourself permission to think unbiblical thoughts because it will hurt you. Correct any ungodly imagination trying to burrow its way into your belief system because it will change how you see life and how you live life. The lie that tripped up the servant here was simple. As he was speaking to himself, he said, the master's not coming home anytime soon. Well, that could be said as a fact. The master's not coming home anytime soon. Or it could be said as a reason to sin. The master's not coming home anytime soon. You see how a fact can turn into a reason? And here this servant, he had it in his mind that I will do right. I will be faithful. I will obey when the master is watching over me. But when the master's gone, I will live differently. When the boss isn't watching, I will work differently. 
When your spouse isn't around, you'll do different things. When your parents aren't around, you'll say different words. What a terrible lie this is. As if we are living just for the eyes of men. You see, dishonest character requires supervision. It only does what's required when the boss is around. It performs for the eyes of men, but it's lazy, selfish, dishonest, and wicked when no one is looking. We need to each strive to have the kind of character that says, I want to do right when no one is looking. I want to be the same person in private as I am in public. I want to live with integrity. I want who I say I am to match who I truly am. And this is character. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7, I'll just read it for you. It says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. See, our Savior certainly left Christians a better example. You're living for Christ. You're not living for the boss. You're living for Christ. You're not living for your parents. You're living for Christ. You're not living for the preacher. You're living for Christ. You're not living for your spouse. The, the, the goal is to realize that God's looking at me all the time. And His eyes are always upon me. And I want to be accountable to Him at every moment. And if we don't have that thought, if we don't deal with the character of our heart and, and make sure that our inner talk is consistent with the Scriptures, then we'll live down to the lowest common denominator of the flesh. You see the servant's mistake? I know what the boss wants, but I'll only do it if he's around. That's the way to destruction. Because once you start giving yourselves those little permissions, we'll see what comes next. Look at the second step. Look back at verse 45 here. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, that's number one, and shall begin to beat the men, servants, and maidens. That's the second step on the progression of unfaithfulness. This step is the abuse of privilege. See, the, the steward here was clearly a leader of other servants. It's likely that he earned that position over a period of years by being faithful, by becoming trustworthy. If you're going to put someone in charge of other people or of a business or of, of a home, you've got to have some trust. And this man earned this privilege to be a leader through faithfulness and obedience. And his master learned that he could be trusted over a period of time. But after a while, if you're not careful and you begin giving yourself permission to not do what you know is expected when the boss or the leader isn't watching, then the next step is you begin to abuse your privileges. Look at Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse... 16. Let's read it together. Ready? 
The prince that wanteth understanding is also a great oppressor, but he that hateth covetousness shall prolong his days. This is a great verse. Now, the verse want here doesn't mean that he's desiring understanding. It's the old English word want that means he's lacking understanding. He doesn't have understanding. Uh, Understanding is absent in his life. So the prince or a leader that lacks understanding is a great oppressor. He doesn't appreciate the position he's been giving. He doesn't understand the effects his decisions have on the people beneath him. He can abuse, and notice the word oppressor, he begins to abuse his subjects. And then notice the rest of the the verse. But, and notice the, the contrast here, and much of Proverbs is this way, to contrasting thoughts. But he that hateth, what's the next word? Covetousness shall prolong his days. So what the Bible here is saying is it's contrasting a lack of understanding to covetousness. A prince that lacks understanding begins to live greedily. He begins to see the privileges of his position. And rather than treat it with respect and his subjects with respect and understand that that every decision has consequences, he begins to just use and abuse the things under his influence. Is this what we see in the unfaithful steward? The abuse of privileges. Make no mistake, leaders have privileges. Good leaders learn to bear, and don't miss this statement, good leaders learn to bear the responsibility of privileges and enjoy its rewards without abusing them. And it's a fine balance. If you're a supervisor at work, you know what I mean. You make decisions that affect other people. But what happens if you start taking a longer lunch break? And you start working when everybody else, you start taking off and you're sitting in the office with your feet up not working and everybody else is working. They know you should be working. Begin abusing privileges. This is what we find here in the life of the unfaithful steward is he was given charge of not just things and property and money, but people. And he began to beat and abuse the people that were under him. It's an interesting thought that when you begin abusing possessions, it won't be long until you begin abusing people. The Bible says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in in much. But he that is unfaithful in least is unfaithful in much. You say, preacher, we're just talking about little things here. This is why it's so important that as a steward, when you get the mindset of the steward, if I can be faithful in the little things, that spirit of faithfulness begins to seep into every area of my life. But if I begin giving myself permission to be unfaithful in little areas, that spirit of unfaithfulness begins to seep into every area of my life. How can a husband beat a wife? How can a parent abuse their children? How does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. 
But when you start abusing things, time, talent, treasure, testimony, truth, it's not too long before you start abusing people. And here's the the truth I want to give you tonight. Always respect the trust of others. It's a privilege when people give you confidence. Consider it a holy duty to fulfill the responsibilities with which you're entrusted. Strive to be the one that others will trust with their most precious possessions because you are honest and honorable. And that will keep you on the path of faithfulness and keep you from veering off. But let me say this, the most valuable thing you will ever be entrusted with is the lives of people. People are more important than things. The height of unfaithfulness is when you start abusing people. But you don't start there. So if you don't start with the little things, you never get there. Amen? So we see this progression. What was it? It was a dishonest character. It was an abuse of privilege. It was, number three, a waste of resources. Look back at verse 45, and it says, but if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and drink. Now stop there. There's no problem with eating and drinking. It's not sinful to eat and drink. And there's no doubt that the master made provision for his steward to be able to eat and drink. The implication here is that he began to eat and drink to excess. That once again, he was abusing the privilege of leadership, and that led to a waste of resources. He began to waste the master's goods, watch this, on himself. Isn't this our default setting? That we see what the Lord has given us as our property to do with as what we please? It's my money, I'll spend it how I choose. It's my time, I'll spend it how I choose. If we get more money, we spend that as how we choose. Uh, they're my kids. I'll, I'll rear them as how I choose. No, we're, we're responsible to rear them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And see, people say, well, no, I can't tithe. Well, no, you could. You just don't because it's yours. And we begin to waste it on ourselves. Isn't it funny that we said people can't tithe, but they, they can afford to smoke? People can't tithe, but they can afford to drink. People can't tithe, but they can afford to buy lottery tickets or go to Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks five times a week, eat out for lunch, order pizza. Nothing wrong with the non-sinful things I just mentioned. But what happens is, it's not the fact that we don't have enough, it's that when it's mine, I can waste it if I choose. And here's the problem. God wants each one of us to be a conduit to get resources and blessings to the people around you. But when we take the blessings God gives us and we use them on ourselves, then why would God give us more to use on ourselves? And, and here's a beautiful truth that if you will learn to obey God and be a good steward, God's blessings will abound more in your generous obedience than if you tried to keep it all for yourself. You will keep more by allowing it to pass through you in the will of God than if you tried to hoard it all in the beginning. 
Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Great verse and one that's often misunderstood and not thought of enough. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at the famous verse 31. Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Let's read it together. Ready? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now this is an interesting verse. We know what do all to the glory of God means. Do everything to bring God glory. Uh, but then he uses the illustration of whatsoever you eat or drink. Now why would he use that? I think, first of all, because it's something we all do, amen? You eat or, and you drink or you die. Something each one of us are familiar with. But it's also one of the areas where we're, we're picky. I eat what I want. I drink what I want. Some of you love vegetables. Some of you would rather be burned at the stake than eat broccoli or Brussels sprouts or peas or, or whatever. We're very picky about what we eat. Those larger of us, we're not picky, clearly. Uh, I'm not picky at all. If it's not an organ uh, or a gland, I'll probably eat it, especially if you fry it, amen? Uh, a little Cajun seasoning and some frying goes a long way on just about anything. But this is an area that we're all familiar with, and it's an area where we're usually very picky. But here's what God says. Even in your eating and drinking, do that to the glory of God. What? See, if we can learn to bring even our basest necessities into harmony with the glory of God, then we win. Sometimes we're trying to do the big things and give your life to God and, and surrender to God and all these things, but is there any area of your life that you're trying to bring into the glory of God? I mean, do, do the movies you watch, the entertainment into the glory of God, the, the, the music into the glory of God, the places you go into the glory of God, the friends you keep into the glory of God, the thoughts of your heart into the glory of God. But even what I eat and drink, oh, and then it says, and whatsoever you do. See, he's starting with the basis necessities of life, and then he's expanding that to everything. But if you can get the, the basis necessities, the, 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 the smallest building blocks of your life, if you can bring those into the glory of God, then everything else falls into place. And we don't waste the resources God's given us. If we're not watchful, the lines of ownership blur. But always remember that we are simply managers of what God's given us, seeking His will in all things. I love this statement. If you try to be a good steward... God will allow you to be a conduit for far more than you're meant to consume. Be that pipeline that God can use. What was his next mistake? Verse 45 goes on to say not only to eat and to drink, but to be drunken. This is the fourth step on the road to unfaithfulness. Once you've made the other allowances for sinful thoughts and actions... Sin begins to control you. How does a once faithful saint become bound by the very sins from which God delivered them? Proverbs 14, 14 says, The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you right now. The process of backsliding is deceitfully slow. 
You don't wake up as a committed Christian one day and then all of a sudden say, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. Or I'm going to go out and get drunk. Or I'm going to go out to the club. Or I'm going to go be immoral. That's not how it works. But the process of backsliding is deceitfully slow. And it actually begins where we started this sermon, and that is in the heart. You see, backsliding begins in the heart, then it speaks its desires quietly in the mind. Things you would never say to friends and family and neighbors, you begin telling yourself. You begin fantasizing about and thinking about. That's why it's so important to control the inner voice. Because after you speak it quietly in your heart and mind, then the the sin nature wins small victories that are seemingly meaningless. Little things that aren't going to destroy your life. They're not going to wreck your marriage. They're not going to make you end up in a heap somewhere as a young person. These little things, arguably, even though they're sinful, arguably, they're not going to destroy you today. But what they do is each of those seemingly meaningless victories sear your conscience day after day. And you get dead to what God's trying to tell you. The things that you used to fear to do, now you get brazen and bold and more confident in the sins the little steps didn't hurt, so why not big steps? And each time one of the, these seemingly meaningless victories of the flesh, it creates that desire, that appetite for more and strengthens your sin nature and weakens your spiritual nature. And all the while that sin is burrowing its wicked roots into your life, stealing your strength, sapping your joy, So you seek more sin. Some of you are in church and you're doing everything. Technically, you're doing everything you should do, but you have no joy. You have no strength. I mean, you're in church, you try to read your Bible, you try to pray, you're in a ministry, you're doing you're doing everything right. But it's the little sins that we've allowed to burrow into our heart that are sucking us dry of all the good that God's trying to do in us. So then we begin to believe that sinful, lying voice in our heart begins to say, see, Christianity doesn't work. This isn't for you. You tried it. It didn't work. But those people make you feel good. And that program makes you feel better. And when you drink that, it makes you feel alive. And when you smoke that, it dulls the pain. And all the while, sin begins to take control. And only after it's wrapped you up far deeper than you can imagine does sin truly come to life. And the strength which we had to say no to sin is gone. And we're like Samson who with our hair cut off, we stood up like every other time, trusting the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us, trusting some supernatural strength, trusting our spiritual side to win, that temp- win over temptation one more time. As Time after time we, we crawl up and we hug up and we snuggle up to, to really terrible sin, then we back away. 
and we play with it and we caress it and we, 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 we get close to it, but we're strong enough to say no until one day you, the strength that you've always had to say no is now gone. And it didn't happen in a day or a week. It happened deceptively slow. The lust has given birth to sin. Only now it's not the cute sin that was fun to cuddle and play with. Now it's grown into the terrible lion that is devouring you bite by bite. You see, a deceitful heart makes us believe we're in control when we sin. But we have no idea what's happening in the background. We have no idea what's happening when we give up these seemingly meaningless little victories, feeling we're still in control. And this is what happened to the unfaithful servant. He just started by saying, the master's not coming back for a while. I can do what I want. Then he begins to abuse his privileges, waste resources. But wait, now he's in trouble. Because now sin has taken hold. You see, if that's you here today and you say, preacher, I'm there. Did that happen to me? I've, I, I understand the process you're talking about because I've allowed something in my life that right now today has taken hold of me and no matter how much I try I keep telling myself I'm going to stop but then I don't and I do it again I keep telling myself I'm going to be different this time and 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 yet the 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 times of loneliness and 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 something bad happens or some trigger and I run back to that sin I it just seems to have a hold of me what do I do preacher well there's a A lot of things you can do, but the simple answer is you live in victory over sin the same way you receive victory the first time. And that's through Jesus Christ. Obedience to Christ and his word is the path of freedom. John chapter 8 says, Then said, then said Jesus to those Jews which believe on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So you live in freedom the same way you got it the first time. By turning to Jesus, humbling yourself, believing in Him, continuing in His Word. Let me say lastly tonight, this progression ends with a dereliction of duty. If, if you look at verse 47, it says, And that servant, this is the one who is faithful, who became unfaithful, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. See, in the last step is dereliction of duty. The final step in the progression of unfaithfulness is when we stop doing what we know to do. And see, this is where we really notice it sometimes. We notice them when all of a sudden they're out of church. When all of a sudden they're a different person. When all of a sudden they're doing things they never did before. They're talking different. They're acting different. It's like, what happened to you? It's like invasion of the body snatchers. It's like somebody else took over. But see, that's the end of sin. All the inner workings in the private world has been leading to this moment. 
And the final step is the cause and result of much of life's struggles. We don't do what we know we should do. It's not what you don't know that's hindering you today. It's the fact that we're not doing what we know we should do that's hindering us. There's countless things I don't know. But the thing that condemns me is I'm not doing what I know to do. And that's discipleship. We learn the Lord's will. We obey God's will. We learn the Lord's will. We obey God's will. Look at Luke chapter 6. This will be the last verse you look at. Luke chapter 6. I'd suggest you underline this verse. Memorize it. Because it... It's indicative of how we live if we're not careful. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. Let's read it together. Ready? And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Let's say it again. Ready? And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What's the Lord saying here? You're honoring me with your lips, but you're not obeying me with your life. You're calling me Lord, but you're not obeying me as a Lord. You know what I want you to do, but you're not doing what I want you to do. I want you to consider this just throughout this year and as we think about stewardship. How much better would our lives be if we acted on what we know to be true? What if we just did what we were supposed to do? What if we stopped saying things like, I know I should, but... Or I know I shouldn't, but... Or I'll probably regret this, but... Or I know what I should do, but I don't care. Your lives, our lives, get immeasurably better when we just do what we know to do. How do you do that? We stop the excuses. We quit trying to figure it all out. We end the justifications. We stop living by sight, and we just obey. Did you know the feelings are terrible masters? God didn't give you feelings to tell you what to do. He gave you feelings so you would know how to interpret life. But feelings must be stewarded too. We might talk about this sometime this month. Your feelings have to be stewarded. The thoughts of your heart have to be stewarded. But do you know that as a pastor of this church, there's days that I don't want to go to church? Sorry to burst your bubble. It's hard to feel spiritual when you're sick. You're tired. We don't make decisions based on feelings, but I'll tell you this. There's never been a time I've gone to church and regretted it. But there have been times when I've not gone to church and regretted it. Do you know there's times that I don't want to read my Bible? But I do. There's times I don't want to pray. But I do. There's times I don't want to go soul winning. But I do. 
There's times I don't want to drive a bus or be in a ministry. But what you learn about yourself is we can't be derelict in our duties. We have to, as faithful stewards, we say, you know what? I don't trust my feelings. I don't make decisions based on how I feel. I make decisions based on what God says. Because what you'll find is if you make decisions based on feeling, you're going to live a life of regret. But if you live a life based on the word of God and the will of God, you'll live a life of rejoicing. Obey God when it doesn't make sense. Comply when you understand and when you don't. Submit to the Lord when you don't want to. Follow Christ when you want to go your own way. Do right when you want to do wrong. Be there when you want to be home. Open your mouth for God when you want to keep it closed. Close your mouth when you want to open it for yourself. The list goes on and on. Just do what you know to do. And life gets immeasurably better. You see, we come full circle back to the beginning. A tale of two stewards. Which do you want to be? You want to be the faithful steward? Blessed and rewarded? You want to be the unfaithful steward? Boy, it was a wild ride. Right into destruction. I guarantee you the faithful steward always looks back and says, Thank God I did. And the unfaithful steward always looks back and says, I wish I had. You get to decide. And if you don't want to go that way, the Bible tells us the progressions to be careful of. Let's be faithful, amen. Let's be good stewards, not just this month, but for the rest of our lives. Father, I pray you'd help us now as we go to the invitation. Pray you'd speak to our hearts. Give us a lot of wisdom as we seek to honor you with the life you've given us, the things you've entrusted us. And Father, we've all had times of unfaithfulness. Oh God, forgive us for being unfaithful. Protect us from sin and Satan and our sin nature, which so deceitfully seduces us to do wrong. And Lord, remind us, shoot up warning signs, help us to be aware of the slippery path to unfaithfulness to make sure that we Never walk that path. And that if we start that path or we even find ourselves on it today, that we'd repent and get right, get back to you, submit afresh and anew. Help us to be faithful. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. If the Lord spoke to your heart, we'll have an invitation. The altar will be open. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar is open.